There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hello, this is Chris Cooper and a big welcome to the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. It's great to be back with you again for another week. More fantastic guests, another fantastic subject. And we're going to be talking today about becoming coachable. And I think uh, there's been a theme this year so far. And I think that theme is about awakening. It's about uh, awakening to, uh, to, well, to a new world and how we're going to uh, behave in it. And last week we had um, a fantastic guest in Raj Asodia, who was on the show for the second time, and we talked about his new book, Awaken. And, um, you know, I think right now we all need to become much more aware, I think, uh, aware of the opportunity and the need for us to step up and contribute to a better world. Um, I think uh, people who are um, you know, have, have developed wisdom and are developing wisdom, can also um, think about how they contribute uh, more significantly to the challenges that we face today. And everybody can, I think, step up. We need to come together. We need to look into ourselves and think about how we how we, we act and uh, react to others. Um, and um, I want to say, um, say thank you to Raj, because I just thought his conversation with me was great last week. And uh, what I loved about uh, his book about Awaken was just the depth of research he'd done, research on himself as well, uh, to write that book. Uh, and I think if you're interested in this journey that we're on to higher levels of leadership, higher levels of contribution, I think that was an important interview to listen to. Um, and uh, also I'd like to, another person I'd love to thank is Gene Early, who's a, a good uh, friend of mine, who's uh, part of a community called the Elevation Collective. Um, that um, I, I, I created. And uh, Jean um, very, very kindly introduced me to my guest today, Jacqueline Lane, and to Scott Osman. And we're going to be talking about their fantastic new book. It's called Becoming Coachable, uh, Unleashing the Power of Executive Coaching to Transform Your Leadership and Life. Hey, that theme of awakening comes up again in Becoming Coachable. Uh, Jacqueline is the president of a hundred coaches agency and brings lots and lots of expertise in leading creation and strong advocacy for conscious capitalism linked there with Raj actually who co-wrote the book uh, rooted in her global work with vulnerable populations and her approach combines deep relational insights with a systemic perspective to tackle global challenges. Um, Jacqueline's in New York today she's looking out at uh, at uh, a slightly snowy uh, scene, which is in stark contrast uh, to uh, Scott Osman, who is the CEO and co-founder with Marshall Goldsmith of 100 uh, uh, Coaches Agency. And he's actually, at the moment, uh, basking in 80 degree temperatures mm -hmm. in the Caribbean on a beautiful island, uh, quite rightly, because he's celebrating his honeymoon. So congratulations, Scott, and thank you for joining <laughs> us. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Great to be here. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and Scott um, is known for his visionary leadership and his diverse skill set, which spans creative, financial, and strategic management. He's a thought leader in purpose strategy, a champion of talent development, 
and he's really significantly impacted the coaching and leadership landscape. Uh, and they shaped together this um, amazing organization called 100 Coaches Agency, which is helping um, senior people around the globe to become coachable and helping them to transform uh, performance. And uh, you know, I was reading in, in their book about return on investment from coaching, which is you know nearly 600% for people, um, they were telling me. And therefore, coaching is just so important today uh, for the future of leadership. So big welcome today to Jacqueline. And to Scott. Thank you so much for having us, Chris. We're so happy to be here. You're very, yeah. very welcome. <laughs> welcome. I still can't believe you've joined us on your honeymoon from the from Jamaica. <laughs> 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 it's real commitment. And uh, thank yeah. you for your wife. We'll, we'll just keep that between us, okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, do, do thank your wife for donating you to us for a, a short period of time. Um, yes. So tell us... Um, a little bit about your journeys, maybe, you know, and what inspired you to ultimately co-author uh, Becoming Coachable. And uh, maybe we'll go we'll go ladies first and uh, I'll ask Jacqueline that question first. Perfect. Yeah. You know, this this book was really born out of the work that we've been doing for the last, uh, um, gosh, three and a half or four years at the 100 Coaches Agency, where we really tried to sit down and understand what made certain coaching engagements far more effective than others. As you said, Chris, the ROI on coaching is, is rather high, but some are even exponentially more than others. And so we were asking some of our coaches and the people in the community, what makes for a great coaching engagement? And the answer kept returning to this idea of coachability. You know, the most coachable clients are the ones who have the best results uh, in the shortest period of time. And so we really tried to understand what does that even mean? Um, of course, Scott and I both have our own personal relationships with this idea of coachability. Uh, for me, that really began when I became a collegiate rower uh, at, when I was uh, doing my master's degree at the University of Cambridge. And I, I, became, I was a novice rower trying to join the team. And I realized very quickly that the people who go on to have the best results are the people who are coachable because there are simply things that you cannot see in yourself. You need the, you know, your coach who's on the bank of the river telling you what they see and telling you how to improve your form, improve the boat's speed. Uh, those are the people who go on and do the best, uh, regardless of any kind of individual strength or talent. Um, it, you know, that idea uh, really of coachability really pervades. So um, that was part of our idea. And of course, um, uh, we worked with Dr. Marshall Goldsmith, and he was uh, also very excited about this topic. And uh, it's amazing that this book almost feels like it wrote itself. Uh, we were surprised to find that no, there really wasn't as much uh, thinking or writing on the topic of coachability uh, as there are, for example, on how to be a coach. Mm. Uh, and so it was really fun to actually flip the script a little bit and write about what does it mean to to receive coaching. Yeah, I like that. I like that nuance. At uh, Cambridge, that's um, that's a place to learn to row. Oh, absolutely! It was an amazing experience. I learned a lot. Did you ever? Did you ever row against uh, Oxford? No, I never did. I never <laughs> did. Just against the other colleges. Yeah, uh, but it was a fantastic experience, and I, I couldn't recommend it more highly. That's a, a be beautiful place. I'm actually. We have a, a guest, a Chris Marquis, coming up, and he's a, a lecturer. He's, he's American, but he's a lecturer in, in Cambridge. So he he suggested we met. At Jesus College for lunch, and I thought actually that's worth a drive to go down to Cambridge for the the. I think I might do that one. That'll be yeah, really really absolutely. nice. So it's, it's a lovely place. So how about you, Scott? Um, I um I came to coaching a little bit later in life. I met Marshall uh, eight years ago. Uh, 
Uh, and we together we formed the hundred coaches community and got to know a lot of coaches. And uh, then, uh, as Jacqueline mentioned, three and a half years ago, formed the agency Hundred Coaches Agency, uh, really connecting the greatest coaches in the world with the greatest leaders in the world. Um, and we saw, as she said, the impact of coaching. I, I myself, um, turns out, unbeknownst to me, was not coachable at the time. Uh, I started meeting a lot of coaches, and we'll talk more about it, I'm sure, later. Uh, but in um, in uh, in meeting a coach, interestingly enough, uh, our our close friend Gene Early uh, was the coach who helped me understand how to become coachable, and uh, and realized the transformative power of uh, recognizing that there's you have much more capacity than you ever imagined. Uh, and Jacqueline Marshall and I looked around for a book that communicated that, like what it takes to become coachable. Or, or even just to like set yourself up for a good coaching experience, and there wasn't anything out there. Um, and so uh, we set forth to write it, and it came together so quickly. We have access to this amazing community of thought leaders, um, and uh, we're really proud of the result. Fantastic. And it's, it's, did you say eight years? Because it broke it broke up suddenly, and it sounded like 80, and I'm absolutely confident. No. That's- yeah, <laughs> no, no. Eight, uh, eight, I met Marshall about eight years ago. Eight years ago, yeah. yeah. And what's, I mean, he, he's a fascinating man to work with what what have you learned from working with marshall if there's uh, one, one thing that uh, one thing my gosh um the spot. well here's here's the one thing the one thing i've learned is um anybody has the capacity to change their life yeah that uh, marshall marshall often says unless you have a genetic defect whatever it is that's blocking you you can change mm-hmm. so um you know so many things that get in our way uh, in my case, it was um, it was a, a general belief that things were were good, and I didn't have to change anything because things were good. Um, but but that's a limiting belief. Uh, for other people, it's the need to be the smartest person in the room or to demonstrate that you're smart. Um, there's so many of these, quite frankly, uh, little things that are huge blocks. Mm. Um, and as soon as a good coach helps you see it uh, and release it, then uh, quite frankly, you know, our whole life can transform. Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting that um, sometimes we can have these winning formulas, can't we? Um, I remember mine um, many years ago being, I hadn't realized it, but it was through a coach. I I discovered that um, I was running a pattern of not being good enough. So I was working and proving and proving and it it took me, it really took me along in my career, but actually it became exhausting because I turn up to board meetings, the most prepared and the most organized. and, And somebody once said, you know, do do you realize that's not why we why we have you here? You, you, you've you've earned your place. You are good enough. Um, and I took some coaching around that time, uh, and uh, life became more more relaxed, I guess. And uh, yeah, you be be yourself a bit. So uh, so common, so common. Yeah, we're actually there's a there's someone that we're that is being coached right now that literally has you know risen to a position of authority and can't let go of the need to do all the things that she used to do when she was in a position of less authority. Of course, that's one of the great, uh, the great things that leaders need to do. I mean, going back to Marshall's book, what got you here won't get you there, uh, is to recognize that you've transcended into a different role and you have to let go of your old role. Yeah, yeah, important. So tell me, Scott, a little bit about 100 Coaches. So you you created this with Marshall. How did that come about and why is it a bit, why is it different? Yeah, so um, what a great question. I, I, I love, and I love telling the story because uh, Marshall's such a great human being. 
Uh, Marshall called me. I had I had met Marshall one day. Someone had introduced us introduced us for dinner, uh, and then about four months later, he called me up and said, uh, "I just did a workshop with Aisha Bursell. I want to teach fifteen people everything I know about coaching. Would you help me?" Uh, and then he went and put up a video on LinkedIn, and twelve thousand people applied. It's now been over twenty thousand people. Um, and so we picked 25 people and we did a weekend teaching them everything Marshall knew about coaching. Uh, it turns out we had uh, picked a group of leaders, leadership coaches and leadership thinkers. Anyhow, over the course of the next year, we trained 100 people and those 100 people became a community. Uh, and that community is now over 400 people. Um, and what we found was uh, leaders, leadership thinkers and leadership coaches, in addition to caring about leadership, uh, were also fairly lonely uh, and that they um, they really yearned for a community of other like-minded people that they could collaborate with. And that's what this community, the 100 Coaches community has become. Uh, it's this very robust and nourishing group of people with the inspiration, I think this is key, of Marshall's initial thought of paying it forward. Mm -hmm. So his thought of he wants to do this to pay it forward permeates the community and everybody in the community is super generous. Right, that's nice. Yeah, that's nice. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I, and I, I suppose people who are doing, you know, big roles and uh, out there making a difference, it is a lonely place being a, if you're an outlier, some kind, and you're up against potentially a lot of resistance and challenging work and to have a place you can call home. Yeah, you know, it's lonely at the top is not just a casual expression. Uh, I mean, this is one of the most important important things about leadership coaching is a leader uh, inherently is very isolated, right? You know, the people who report to him, well, their jobs are on the line. So while they can be forthcoming, there's there's some conditionality to that. Uh, he kind of has no peers within the organization. The people he reports to can fire him. So uh, it's a very unique place. Yeah. Um, and a coach helps support that. Leadership thinkers also, you know, they, they go and they write and they do their research, but they're also, uh, I think Sally Helgeson once said, uh, she was giving a you know talk in front of, I don't know, 5,000 people at a company and someone came up to her afterwards and said, gee, like your job is so awesome and amazing. Uh, I'm so jealous. And she said, you know, I come in here and I speak to you all and I have one great day, but you're still in community together and I go off to the next place. Yeah. Uh, and, the, and the job of a leadership thinker is also very lonely. Yeah. So having this community is really, uh, Again, very, very important. Yeah. So, so tell me, tell me, Jacqueline, why is this book in particularly important right now? Yeah. Well, you know, the challenges that leaders are facing today are in many ways unprecedented. We're dealing with things like a global pandemic, supply chain disruption, uh, questions always about sustainability and climate change, the demands of a younger generation, particularly Gen Z, and their expectations from their leaders uh, and careers. And so all of that requires leaders to constantly reinvent themselves, to constantly grow and to adapt. And so this idea of becoming coachable is how you engage with all of that information to, in order to continue to grow, uh, to become the kind of leader that you really want to be, to be the best version of yourself, uh, to manage all of this innovation and disruption, and really to unlock our full potential so that we can all flourish. Yeah, great. There's a, there's a lovely example in your book of a leader, and you can sure recall the story best than me, 
who struggled with compassion and had a coaching session and then somebody came in mm. you don't maybe can you remember that one um yeah 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 absolutely so the story goes i i'm gonna miss a few details of it but i i know the coach and i know the story uh is there was one executive who was um feeling particularly you know drained one day let's say and his coach asked him before a major meeting uh how are you feeling on your levels of creativity, curiosity, and compassion, or something like that? And he said, well, my creativity is high and my curiosity is high, but my compassion is feeling very low right now. And the coach said, well, let's, let's just think of a time when you felt a 10 out of 10 level of compassion. And so they spent a few minutes and he, real, he had the, he, the executive channeled these feelings of compassion and love for his, his son. Um, and then he he felt like his tank was kind of refilled. And he went into that big board meeting uh, ready then to have the conversation. And in that meeting, one of the executives announced that he was going through a particularly hard time with uh, his family and needed to step away. And that uh, CEO who had just talked to his coach knew, felt like he knew exactly what to do, that he went over and put his arm around the guy and said, "We're and, and, and I'm believe there were some tears that are even exchanged. Mm. And he said, we are here for you. We want to support you. And he said yeah. he never would have done that if his coach had not asked him about compassion first. Mm. And those sort of stories are stories that really stick in people's minds, don't they? Forever, you know, that's it's almost a, a historical moment when something such compassion happens. Um, and we'll set a great example to the rest of the, the board. Yeah. Way of being. Um, Hard to, hard to measure the impact on that, but pretty pretty huge. I don't know if Scott's still with us. Um, we just uh, lost his camera, so I'm wondering if he's. Uh... <laughs> he says he's turned off his video just to, to make the, the bandwidth work better. Okay, um, um, Scott, are you still there for me to ask a question? No, okay, I'm going to ask it to you. So, <laughs> um, so co coaching though, we we talked about people in leadership positions, uh, and and to help with their leadership. But actually, life is more than just leadership. So, so you mentioned that that um, executive there, who's it was his, fa his father who was dying, and he, he decided to take time out to look after his father. Our life is kind of a, a system with different facets. We've got we've got um, maybe got family and children and spouses, and uh, then we've got community and we've got you know um, contribution to the, all those sorts of things. So, um, I guess the thing about coaching. Is it just coaching being important, be coachable around your leadership or should we be coachable around everything in our lives? Right. You know, I think some of the phrasing, for example, work-life balance is a little bit um, misleading <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. we don't just have work and just have life. Work and life are in many ways intertwined. Uh, it's it's part of the fullness of our human experience. Uh, and so, of course, a lot of the things that happen in our leadership also impact our life and vice versa. Yeah. Um, in, in fact, Marshall points this out often, that if you struggle with something, like let's say you're an executive and you have a challenge uh, that you don't listen very well or you don't listen enough, uh, and that's what you're hearing from your executive team. Uh, well, the odds are you probably have the same problem at home too. Are you listening to your spouse? Are you listening to your kids? Uh, and so improving something like that as just an example does improve all of your life. 
and we often see that. And another uh, example is Marshall always teaches us about uh, how to engage your stakeholders and understand stakeholder perception. And so he has this exercise that he does where he, like, if you go to one of Marshall's workshops, he'll have you pull out your phone and he'll say, pick someone that you are close to or someone in your life and just text them. How can I be a better, whatever your relationship is to them for you? So, you know, for example, I might text my mom, hi mom, how can I be a better daughter for you? Um, A few times it has happened that someone has pulled out their phone and texted their spouse and said, how can I be a better spouse to you? And it has genuinely saved a marriage. So Mm -hmm. again, uh, these skills that you apply at work also work just as well at home. Remember, uh, it was Jack Jack Canfield saying to me that he had, uh, at the end of each week at work, he he asks people, how would you rate the quality of our relationship on a scale of one to 10? And then uh, addresses that. And then, and that's one, you know, you can, you can do personally as well. And we were talking there about, um, about balance in life and uh, uh, another conversation that really uh, stuck in my mind and and came up to me then was with, with David White. And if you know, do you know David, the poet and uh, leadership expert, Um, he's, um, he's an amazing, amazing guy. Uh, He's a TED TED speaker, if you can check out some TED speeches. And uh, he, um, he was just talking about how during our lives at about 50% of the time, there'll be something going wrong. You know, there'll always be, and that's what our life is about navigating these obstacles. So, you know, you might have you might have only certain parts of your life naturally that are in in balance, but most of the fifty percent of the time, you're always going to have something out of uh, out of sync because everything goes through a period of growth, maturity, and decline. Whether it's your house, your car, um, people's health, relationships, um, and that really stuck in my mind as actually, yeah, life is about navigating obstacles. So, I guess that's also really helpful. For coach, you know, having a coach who can support you through those. Certainly. Absolutely. You know, the, the complexity of life these days, it's especially the complexity of leadership, is really overwhelming. Um, and there, there may have been a time 30, 40 years ago where a leader, a leader could have sort of the real view of what was going on and make good decisions. But today, the micro and macro complexities, uh, Jacqueline mentioned before, the changing expectations of Gen Z make it such that there's no no leader anymore that can do it all. Um, and again, going back to that notion of it's lonely at the top, uh, having someone who is by your side with the only the only goal, the only job of helping you become successful in your job uh, and in your life uh, is just irreplaceable. And I think that's why coaching is very much on the rise um, and so much more important today than it ever has been. And what what are the characteristics of uh, the traits of someone who is isn't coachable? Uh, because we we all we all bump into people uh, who are maybe very very resistant. And uh, if you were coach, you may have um, we maybe all have here had to at a point in time not, uh, stop coaching with somebody because they're just resistant. They've been they've been pushed there by their their managers or the leaders um, in an organization, and actually they're very, very resistant and don't want to break through. But what, what um, would you say are the, the kind of common traits that you notice from? from... Yeah, you know, the, the core of our book uh, is something we, we came up with, uh, with a lot of research and uh, conversation with our coach friends. Uh, and we, it's, we call it the openness framework. Uh, and there's basically four key characteristics that you need to have to become coachable. 
the first is being open to change. The second is open to feedback. The third is open to taking action. And finally, it's being open to being held accountable. Yeah. Um, and those four traits, um, and we can, we'll, we'll, of course, go through them uh, in more detail, but those are really the four key traits that you need to have to become coachable. What's interesting about them is everybody has the potential to have them. Right? I don't think there's a factor that stops. Yeah, yeah. So we just we just we just broke up there, but I think we got the uh the the final um message that everybody has the potential to have so I guess that goes back to what Marshall was saying and, and that lesson from Marshall that everybody has that ability to change. Yeah. I mean we think that that is the real power uh and what something we hope to communicate in this book is that really anyone can access this that uh, coachability is part of the pathway to learning and growth, and that's accessible to anyone. Now, there's often uh, some debate uh, it, about people are, are being coachable or uncoachable. I think Scott and I fundamentally believe that anyone can become coachable, but it, it, there is some element of choice. Um, again, we find that some of the most common barriers are uh, arrogance, hubris, or negativity. Um, where you either believe that you don't need to change, you believe that you have it all together uh, or everything you do is right, uh, or you're just too negative. No, that won't work. No, I don't wanna try anything new. Um, those are some of the main barriers. And we find that in general, taking a position of humility, uh, you know, recognizing that I can learn from the people around me and I can get better, um, That's we find that that's a really powerful posture to start with. Um, but again, Part of this openness framework, we really intentionally chose the words open to, because if you're just open to change, that's a good start, right? Yeah. And then it's almost a positive cycle where then being open to change helps you become more open to feedback. And then you become more open to taking action and then open to being held accountable. Mm -hmm. uh, and all of us are on the uh, are learning on that. That's a, it's a wide range. There's no, uh, it's not binary where you either are or you aren't. We're somewhere on that spectrum and we can always get better. And so even as Scott and I are working on or writing this book, we realize some of the ways where we are not optimally coachable. And so we're constantly working on becoming more and more and more open to some of these yeah. ideas ourselves. That, I mean, that's a really interesting point, isn't it? Because it's not, it's not a case of either being coachable or uncoachable. It's actually... There's a whole spread, isn't there? And there's some, probably some realize that, they're, they're, you know, I'm sure all of, you know, the three of us and many of the people listening here, um, we might describe as being very coachable, but actually there's still, sometimes you come across within yourself, some res resistance mm -hmm. uh, uh, and you don't want to go there. Uh, or you'd rather just keep the, uh, the, the, the Pandora's box closed, uh, keep the box closed. Um, so, so there's degrees, isn't there? You know, it's funny that you mentioned that. I'd never really thought of it before, but, you know, because we always thought open to change. If you're open to change, you're open to change. But, of course, you could be open to change in a particular area or not. Yeah. Uh, and therefore, you're you're coachable in that area if you're open to change in that area. Definitely. So it does, it gets a little particular as well. Yeah, there's a new like one. That. Yeah. Well, on that, you're welcome. Well, on that, on that point, we're going to go to commercial break. And after the commercial break, we're going to find 
out some you know more key kind of com- components around coaching um, and we can talk about actually these uh, four principles of coachability as well I think that would be great to do um, so what I would do with this this interview I always recommend to people is you know if, if you're not if you're not driving uh, you're sitting down and listen to it you know maybe open a, a pad of a paper um, a notebook or maybe it's on your on your phone I'm actually loving this uh, journey app on, on Apple at the moment is maybe I just identify one or two key points that resonate with you that you can do something with just a couple of golden nuggets that you can take away and and consider maybe there's a question there are there areas that you're coachable and areas that you're not maybe you need to be a bit more a bit more open for example in certain areas so um, we're going to a commercial break uh, now we'll be back in just a couple of minutes so do join us um, after the break thank you when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Say It Skillfully is my radio show about being who you are and saying what you think needs to be said. This is your host, Molly Chang. I'll help you find the right words to tackle any challenging conversation you've been avoiding. Whether you're part of a small project team or leading a giant company, the more you accept that you're part of the problem, the faster you can be part of the solution. You'll learn how to achieve success on your terms and be happier, healthier, and more productive at work and in your life. Check out sayitskillfully.com for practical resources, including my 90-second videos, real-life examples showing you how to speak up skillfully. I invite you to call in with your questions. Join me live every Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. And no, I'm cheering for you. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Jacqueline Lane and Scott um, Osman, who's currently on a beautiful island in Jamaica. Lucky man. Um, and um, we're talking about uh, becoming coachable. Uh, and before the uh, the break, um, I, the, there was uh, some conversation which talked about four key principles of being coachable, um, which were open to change, feedback, action, and uh, held accountable, I think, uh, mm-hmm. held to account. 
Um, so maybe we could actually explore those a little bit. So, you know, perhaps Jacqueline, you could tell us a little bit about Open to Change. Actually, I'm going to pass this one off to Scott because uh, <laughs> we, we each have our own particular yeah. show. Okay, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll let Scott tell, take it from there. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in full disclosure, I did not know going into the book that my challenge was being open to change. Uh, as I had mentioned earlier, you know, I thought it because open to change always sounds like very negative. Like I don't want to, I don't want to change anything uh, because I'm stubborn. But I never felt stubborn. I just felt things were good the way they were, and it wasn't that I wasn't willing to change. It's I didn't think I needed to change. And um, and as I mentioned, my coach Gene. Uh, during our first session, I told them that I had told, I had told maybe a dozen coaches that, and they said, well, if you don't have anything you want to change, then I don't, I don't know what we can do together. And I told Jean, he said, you know, uh, thinking that everything is fine is really a self-limiting belief. And if you think everything is fine, you're never going to have expansion. If you, I think you want to have expansion, you want growth, you want like new opportunities. And as soon as he said that, I realized like, absolutely, uh, change isn't bad. Like a lot of a lot of change is positive and uh, and and I was happy to be open to positive change. Mm. Um, and with that, just embarked on a whole series of changes uh, that in part led to the book itself mm. uh, is recognizing that we could do so much more. Um, and so, you know, I just say on the open to change, like just just recognizing that uh as, as actually one of our one of our other coaches, a guy named Srikumar Rao says, he, he says, uh, good or bad, who knows? And that, that's true about change. Like mm. change is inevitable and you don't know if it's going to be good or bad. So just be open to it and uh, and let things happen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think um, I think I think Gene, if we're talking about the same Gene, are we? Uh, we so, are. Uh, we both know, you know, Gene is very good at um, at uh, opening you challenging you as to whether you're playing too small um and uh, i think he, he loves uh, this concept of 10x uh and uh yeah yeah he's he, it's it's right because you you can be open to change but maybe maybe um there's bigger change that is possible to uh you know to for you to be able to contribute to human flourishing in a bigger way as you beautifully put it exactly yeah so out of these four then is there uh, Jacqueline, which one would you like to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, it is an interesting thing to realize, uh, as Scott said, in writing the book, you it's like showing a mirror to yourself where you mm. say, "Oh, I I didn't know I was resistant in this area," and it's a bit of a <laughs> a realization. And for me, that one is and probably always has been being open to feedback. Mm. Um, and I have all, I've historically viewed feedback as somewhat disciplinary or punitive. Uh, you know, when someone says to you, I need, can I give you some feedback? They're not usually telling you something good. And so my natural response is to, to shut down a little bit, not really want to hear that. Um, but then I realized not listening to the feedback of people around me, especially those who care about me personally and care about my success and the you know want to help me have the life and the impact I would like to have uh, then I need to hear their feedback because yeah. they can simply see things that I can't see uh in in fact it's become um you know, we become aware of the fact 
that it's not really possible to be a self-aware person without understanding the way that you're perceived. All of us have blind spots. It's just a natural part of life. Uh, and so uh, talking to people and asking them, simply just saying, what is it that, that you can see that I need to hear um, is a really powerful thing. And the other piece that I think is, has really changed my life is continuing to be open to that uh, and to say thank you. Because I recognize now that feedback really is a gift. Uh, yes. And if someone has the courage to give you feedback, uh, you need, we need to recognize that. And a thank you is one of the best ways uh, to ensure that that flow of information continues to come to us. And especially as people rise through organizations and become uh, leaders with more and more influence, uh, feedback becomes harder and harder to get. So you have to really seek it out uh, and really be grateful for it because there are often power dynamics at play uh, yeah. when people are sharing that. Yeah. I, th th I think that it's very important, isn't it, to reframe feedback because it is something we're taught we, for our lives through school and parents and people giving us poor feedback sometimes and we 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 can all start to feel very uncomfortable with it. I was working with a, on Wednesday, I was working with a team um, and uh, a board of a company and we were working on feedback actually, uh, because they're, they're quite resistant and there was some feedback came from some of their staff, which had really upset them. They hadn't leaned into it to really understand uh, what it was about. And but what came up for me, I remember many years ago, um, ha having a little box with a wire put down into my stomach to measure the pH in my stomach. I've got a lot of acid reflux. There was a box attached to my waist for 24 hours. And I walked out of the hospital with it strapped to my face and, um, this wife oh. my throat and my wife rang me in the car and said are you okay and I said yeah I've got a new friend uh, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> basically I decided that difficult things I was going to call friends so I had this friend for 24 hours it was a bit of an uncomfortable friend but I knew it was going to be good and I sometimes share that around feedback because I think if you can see feedback as a friend too it might it might seem an awkward friend but actually it's the only way we learn isn't it we learn through feedback. So we're missing a whole ability to, to learn and awaken. Um, right. Can't take I mean, feedback. Think about how much more knowledge is available to us when we tap into the wisdom and experiences of those around us. Um, and this goes back to what we were saying earlier, thinking that we can do it all alone or that we have all the answers is, is a very limiting belief. Um, yeah. Right. Especially for a leader, a leader without feedback, um, just doesn't have the information that she needs to create the changes that need to happen within the organization. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, complete, completely. Um, so, so Scott, are you, are you a man of action? Well, you know, the first two really we take personally. <laughs> the The second two we're both so good at uh, that we're just <laughs> communicating what's going on. Um, but yeah, you know, the uh, the first two, the first two are are very much you know, internal things. Actually, as I'm listening to them, they're, they're often fears that people have, uh, you know, fear. In my case, it was a, a fear that change was going to be negative uh, or diminishing. Uh, in Jacqueline's case, the fear that feedback was going to be negative uh, and harmful. Um, taking action is a little bit different. So now you have, you've, you've gotten over the fears of, uh, of change and feedback, but now you got to do something with it. Um, it's not enough to just understand that this is the new situation, but as a leader, you know, leadership isn't very much about taking action. 
So part of the coaching, uh, becoming coachable framework is taking what you learn and then doing something with it. Right. Uh, and, and that then is where, as, as a coach, Jacqueline, you hold people to account. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, we all need accountability, frankly. Uh, accountability is, I mean, especially this time of year, you know, where it's the new year, we're all talking about our resolutions and how we're going to make certain positive changes in our life. Um, and, you know, to some extent, it's easy to make a change uh, for a day. You know, I'm going to I'm going to go to the gym today or I'm going to um, improve my diet. But inevitably, a lot of us end up have it falling into the backsliding trap where we fall back into old rhythms or we make excuses. Uh, and so some form of external accountability is really the key to help us continue to make that change a lasting change, because lasting change is what really matters in the long term. Uh, and so for I mean, I'll certainly speak for myself that it's not until I ha often have one person in my life asking me about something that I, I really stick with a new habit. Uh, Marshall has this great process called the daily questions process. Uh, where he has some, where he writes questions for himself. Um, and this is all outlined in Marshall's book Triggers. Um, it's the it's a brilliant framework, but it's basically you write your own questions and then you have someone call you every day and ask you your questions. and you score yourself against those questions every day. Uh, but it's just the activity of having someone call you that actually makes it sticky. Uh, yes. And the same is certainly true in my life. And again, that person can be a coach. Coaches are great at accountability. Uh, but of course, there are other methods of accountability as well. A, closing, a close colleague, a spouse, uh, a close friend, et cetera. Yeah. Mm. Marshall wrote a paper some years ago called Leadership as a Contact Sport. Uh, and in that paper, um, they did a, it was a very substantial research study. Um, and they they found that um, creating change once without any follow-up uh, created no lasting change. Um, but creating change with follow-up of accountability for a year uh, created an exponential difference in the in the stickiness of that change. Um, I think he's kind of amended his thinking a little bit uh, because at the time, I think he felt that, you know, if you do it for a year, it'll stick. Um, and I think now he realizes even after a year, uh, change has a half-life and accountability is a lifelong process yes i suppose that's maybe uh i guess explains why sometimes people find a coach and the relationship lasts for many years right because, yeah absolutely yeah. and and a good coach will also you know, hold you accountable for many years but also provide the transition to another form of accountability even when the coaching ends yeah uh, because again great leadership you know, requires accountability. Yeah. That's a really good, really good point that actually. It's a really good point. I just, um, that's very helpful actually. Cause I just um, had, a, had a coaching relationship that I had, for, I had for 10 years and we finally decided to go our separate ways um, about, about October of last year. And it's been, it's been great, but it felt right to move on for both of us actually. Um, but I'm just now wondering, has he got that accountability? So I'm going to call him up actually to make sure that he has. I've never thought, I've never thought about that. It's a really um, helpful point. Yeah. 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 So, so tell me, um, we've got probably, but yeah, we've got a few minutes, um, got a few minutes left. Um, the next part of your book is, is about the end goal. You know, I guess that's kind of like 
probably the so what is it uh, uh talk talk to, to a little bit about that because you've got you mentioned to us um you mentioned maybe yeah. break i can't remember actually but we had components um, of that we had we had written uh what we thought was a whole book and and we now know it was two-thirds of the book uh and we and we kind of sat back and we said that was great uh and then we they kind of looked at each other and we said well like to what end like why become coachable what is this all about um and as we started to sort of peel back the layers on that and quite frankly had a lot of uh kind of mall walks with marshall marshall loves to go on long walks and sometimes mm-hmm. when the weather's not great uh, we walk in malls and we had these long conversations about uh, the importance of coaching and why become coachable. Um, and we realized that um, coaching is about progressing on an arc uh, that starts, you know, many leaders start by being strivers where they they want leadership because they want more for themselves. Uh, and sometimes they progress from there to become people pleasers where they, instead of wanting things for themselves, they want things for somebody else. So they want to impress somebody else. Um, and then eventually they get a sort of a higher state where they're still kind of looking for more for themselves, but they recognize they want to create more for everybody also. Yes. <clears throat> and that's great. And those leaders, we call those risers. Um, but what we're recognizing now is there's a new transcendent form of leadership, which we call the flourishing leader. And the flourishing leader is able to put aside the benefit for themselves and understand that by creating more for everybody, all all stakeholders, um, they actually create more for themselves, but create more in general. Yeah. Um, so they move from a zero sum game where things are being traded to a, an expansion game uh, where there's more. And um, leaders like uh, Alan Mullally, Hubert Jolie uh, are really great examples of this kind of leader who create that transition and and just the results are extraordinary. Mm. Mm. So that that's yeah, and it's just that's really really helpful, isn't it? To and, and I suppose this, you know, we used, used to. Uh, I don't know if the world is quite so doesn't seem to be quite so NDA, you know, um, non disclosure agreements and things like that as it used to be. Certainly over here. But are we finding that people are opening up to that collaboration in a, a bigger way than they used to? Because it used to be, you know, comp- competition and uh, organizations are competitive. People within them are competitive. Do you think there is a, a a nicer, kinder, more collaborative world evolving? Yeah, well, that has certainly been our observation. And our observation has also been that when people start to really engage in this process and understand what it takes uh, to be coachable, uh, they start to understand that collaboration really beats competition every time. Yeah. Right. And it's amazing that just in the process of soliciting feedback from the people around you, you start to just recognize in a moment what an impact we all have on one another. Uh, you know, I think there's this myth that uh, where we, especially in the West, think of ourselves very individualistically. Uh, you know, my choices only affect me. And that's simply not true. And when we start engaging in this process, we understand how interconnected we really are. And that starts to naturally shift people from more of this me-centric perspective to a we-centric perspective. And that's a really important piece of becoming that flourishing leader. For example, you know, you would see, let's say, a a field of flowers. Um, 
one flower's beauty doesn't diminish another. In fact, you know, you can't see a single flower in a field that's doing really well and thriving while the rest is, is struggling. Uh, and we wouldn't refer to that as a flourishing environment. Flourishing has to do with the entire environment and the way that everything interplays together. And in fact, more flowers in a field result in more pollinators coming to that field, which results in more and more and more. And so it's a it's a really amazing process once you become aware of that. Um, but it takes sometimes it takes a little time. But we'll give a, another real world example, uh, which is one of our favorite stories to tell. And you can read about this in our book as well, is the story of Hubert Jolie. And Hubert Jolie was brought in to be the CEO of Best Buy when big box re electronics retailers uh, was a dying sector. Circuit City had just gone bankrupt and um, Hubert was brought in to the struggling company and, and with the expectation of being the CEO to help turn it around. Um, and at the time, all the Wall Street analysts were saying, that uh, Best Buy was a sell recommendation. No one recommend. No one had their chips on Best Buy, and Uber. It was a new sector for him, um, and he realized the way that he had been operating historically wasn't going to be enough. Uh, in his own, uh, you know, description of himself, he had always been that person who had all the right answers, who knew what to do. But in a moment, he realized, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to turn this around. But armed with uh, Marshall Goldsmith as his coach, uh, he realized there are some people who have who have ideas and answers. And those are the people who work at the company. So he famously went into different Best Buy stores and talked to frontline workers and asked them, you know, he he's famous for saying this. He said this is his new <clears throat> favorite phrase is, hello, my name is Hubert Jolie, and I need your help. Mm. Right? And he would ask the frontline workers uh, what what are we doing wrong? What can you see? What are your ideas? And they started to tell him what was going on and what they were seeing from the customers. Uh, and he actually took their advice and implemented it and turned the company around. And in that time, I think the some the stock price increased over three hundred percent. Meanwhile, the S and P five hundred remained almost flat. So you know. All that to say is this shift in perspective really works. He was someone who embraced this idea of flourishing. He realized that the you know at the at the time all the analysts were telling him you need to reduce headcount to try to right size the company, cut costs, uh, and then you know that that's going to be the solution. And they said cut headcount. And Uber realized it's not about headcount. He coined a new word, heart count. Like yes. we actually can't afford heart count reduction. These people are the heart of the company and they're going to be the ones to help us turn it around. Yes. Uh, and I think that's a, that's a, such a beautiful illustration of a mm -hmm. flourishing perspective. Beautiful. Because if through redundancy you, uh, you turn out some flames that are ignited in people, it catches, doesn't it? If, you know, people, if the flames start to die in other people as well, that, that's uh motivation and um sounds like there was a shift in humility as well absolutely yeah yeah he, he had been a uh a former mckinsey consultant just to sort of uh, okay a little, yeah. a little coda on the uh how far that shift in humility came <laughs> <laughs> um but you know now now he's a lecturer at harvard and wrote this beautiful book the heart of business and is uh he's all heart wonderful we've got three minutes till we have to, i have to uh, wrap up the interview. Uh, do you have a final message you'd like to leave us with, Jacqueline? 
I think we just want to encourage people if you, you know, if you're feeling maybe a little resistant or um, unsure, maybe just suspend disbelief uh, and, and try something new. Sometimes, again, we don't realize that we're not being open to change or to feedback, you know, as we described earlier. Uh, and, and we just encourage that, that taking that uh, humble perspective uh, and really trying to lean into this process. There might be something that you uncover along the way, um, but we find that it's a virtuous cycle once you get started. So uh, maybe just take that first step and believe that really flourishing is real. We've seen yeah. it. Uh, we've seen it so many times that we can't not be believers. And so uh, we hope that other people um, will, will start on that path themselves as well. That's really, really interesting. It's really helpful. I think, I think uh, sometimes you hear leaders saying, I'd rather invest in my people, invest in myself. But actually, as the as the overall leader, um, they have the biggest reach and impact. So coaching is going to be even more important for them because it ripples yes. to everybody, isn't it? Yeah. Um, exactly. Scott, a final message from you? Yeah, actually, just uh, building on what you just said, I think, um, like it or not, leadership is what changes the world, right? And um, And we have to have great leaders. And great leaders in today's world are going to be flourishing leaders. Yeah. that recognize that they have to be healthy themselves, can't be a flourishing leader if you're not taking care of yourself, maintaining uh, you know, a good personal life and leadership life, uh, making, sure, making sure that all of your stakeholders are taken care of, not just the shareholders, your employees, your customers, everybody, um, and also the planet, right? If we're gonna be flourishing, every part of our entire world has to be flourishing together. Um, I think that Gen Z, is demanding more of leaders than any other generation before. Um, and what they're demanding is all three of those aspects uh, be addressed and paid attention to. And I think leaders are up to the task. Uh, you know, I think they do need a good coach to make sure that they stick to it and get there. Um, but it's, uh, it is the only way we're gonna go forward. And I'm uh, super optimistic that we can make that happen. Fantastic. Well, I've loved talking to you both today. So thank Bye. you. Thank you yeah, for- thanks, Chris. Thank you for joining us. And uh, if you want to uh, find out more you can, uh, about um, 100 Coaches, agency.100coaches.com, is that correct? Uh, and also, and the book, uh, as a reminder, is Becoming Coachable, Unleashing the Power of Executive Coaching to Transform Your Leadership and Life. So uh, I, must, I must read that one, I think. Uh, and on next week's show, we have Jane Gunn. Uh, Jane is um, a, a top expert in... Uh, in um, in mediation and uh and dealing with conflict um i've known jane for a lot of years she's at the top of the game she's worked with the un she's uh spoken all over the the globe and is a past uh, lawyer um but really important today uh, how do we deal with conflict how do we um manage that she's got some great um processes to help us do that because sometimes it's just a little thing a little thing that if it was nipped in the bud early uh could actually avoid multi-million pound legal disputes and stress and uh, et cetera in people's people's lives. Um, so um, next week, Jane Gone, once again, a huge thank you to both uh, Jacqueline and to Scott and, and to you for listening to the show. Um, it's uh, a privilege to have the opportunity to introduce uh, wonderful people like Jacqueline and Scott with great um, uh, conversation to help you to step up uh, and flourish and contribute to a world that is flourishing. We need to today utilize our time well and uh, ensure we're playing our part in doing business well um, because the world needs us. Take care.
We thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.